Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. We are joined by Ben Algy, a Divisional Vice President of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth in the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And if my internet keeps working, I will not be from some bunker or cave in Afghanistan, as the guys were previously joking. <laughs> we'll see if this fiber optic internet's going to keep working. And we have Ben on the show. Ben, you're, I assume, coming in from Ohio, right? Back, back in from Cincinnati. Thank you guys for having me on the show again. Great to be back. You're like the unofficial third member. You're 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 the Artie Lang, if you will, of this show. Um, I don't know if I'm Howard and or Kurt's Robin. I don't know how that breaks out, but you're definitely the unofficial because this is number I'd love four, to right? That a little bit. But you want to explore four. that? <laughs> yes. I'd probably yeah. be Howard. I'm pretty neurotic. You might be the more rational one, Kurt. I don't know. And on color commentary, there we go. I like it. I'm excited about the Ben bump. Like we always get the Ben bump because he gets <laughs> his right. mom to download the episodes he's in a hundred times. So the entire family running on all systems. The kids love to listen to it. The the big whole truth fan club here in the algae household. Love it. We don't hate on any listeners at all. Like we're st- <laughs> they're supposed to be financial professionals, but if they're just the algae family, I, I I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> That's uh, maybe my kids will be financial professionals. Yes. My son, right. what he wants to do when he grows up, he says, I want to do what dad does. And you ask him what that means, and he has no idea. But uh, most people don't know what we do. So that, that's not that out of the ordinary. That's right. But this is episode four now, right? Yes, we did the uh, the Challenger sale initially, uh, the behavioral finance episode, and then uh, co-hosted with uh, with Tommy Grout in your absence, uh, the guys from SA 720, uh, John Choten team. And so uh, this is episode four, and uh, excited to be back. No, Kurt's right. When we, we, you know, we study these metrics, not too often, but there is definitely an algae bump. It's a real thing. It's a total, it's a real phenomenon. Well, I did hear though that uh, it's my previous episode is no longer the most downloaded in, in uh, whole truth history. So I figure if I just get on here enough, I can add up all the downloads and, uh, and retain the crown. You were upset that marketing pushed, well, Liz Lenz is the number one downloaded and you were upset that marketing push that on social media, but not yours. And that is the reason, right? That's exactly what happened. Not bitter at all. (laughs) Not bitter at all. The power of digital marketing working against me. Swimming upstream. I'm excited about this episode because we got a few great topics to touch with Ben. In segment one, uh, we want to revisit a little bit of that conversation that you had with with John Chode and the other two folks from SA720, the Navy SEALs, specifically around business development, because that was kind of teased um, in terms of how they approach it and what they think about. And so I want to kind of revisit what they tease, but also get a little bit deeper. Is that fair? Sounds great. Yeah. So we'll do that segment one. And then segment two, uh, kind of the core of the show is going to be about client reviews. And I want to say up front, thank you to everyone who participated and gave us feedback on client reviews. The way we tackled this was Ben, Kurt, and I each talked to uh, a bunch of financial professionals. Maybe you wouldn't call it a statistically significant, probably a few dozen who we spoke to. Um, but we got some really good feedback on client reviews and we're looking to share. And Ben's got a nice segment game called uh, Facts myths and opportunities around client reviews. So that is kind of uh, where we're headed. So let's start, you know, by jumping back into 
that Navy SEAL episode, they teased a different way to think about growing your business. You say these, there's two inescapable truths up front before you even get into their content. So maybe let's start there. Happy to. And so, you know, as the listeners know, we, we've done a lot of practice consulting work over 4,000 teams we've worked with around the country, becoming more efficient, more scalable, but ultimately it typically ends up with growth. And in looking back over those engagements, you know, we've studied these teams, the ones that have grown successfully and deliberately, not, not a client hit up the lottery or, you know, you found a, a diamond in the rough, but actually have grown systematically over time. We found two common features amongst every one of those teams. The first was that the team itself had capacity and scalability within the practice to bring on more clients. And so you weren't putting new clients on a chassis that couldn't support them. And that seems simple, but it's actually critically important. It really gets back to the heart of everything that we do in practice consulting uh, around becoming more efficient, more scalable, uh, having the right number of clients, the right service model, all those elements. But those have to be in place before growth could take place. Once that's there, the other commonality was they had a deliberate and defined repeatable process that they followed. There is a process and workflow that they followed to ensure that they were continuously filling that pipeline, but then also tracking where they're falling short and trying to improve the process throughout. If I can, I want to comment on each of those things because I totally agree with, with each of those sentiments. The first one about capacity, you know, we you'd think like, well, well, of course we can take on new clients, right? Like, of course we can. But that's not the state of the industry. The state of the industry is FAs with too many households. Too many investments, not enough scalability, often not having the right infrastructure. I mean, how many teams have you seen now that are struggling to get support staff? This is not a new problem. We had the episode on Supernova. That book was written, one in the 90s. So it really is something that, you know, don't breeze by and say, of course, we can take on new clients. No, really think about that infrastructure because that's important. And then on the second one, I am stunned of how few teams have any kind of process around business development. Like it's almost the vast minority that have a process. These are the activities. These are the measurables. These are the outcomes. I don't see it that often. Well, to be fair, that's also why we sort of have the practice consulting angle, right? Yeah. Question that we like to ask on the, on the process side is, are you growing by chance or by process? Are you hoping somebody comes in the door and brings in assets or are you driving that? And that could be a lot of different things. There's a lot of teams that grow strictly by referrals, and that's fantastic. But you can have a process around referrals and ensuring that you're referable and what you ask your clients to do and how you can be referred. And so it doesn't need to be the same process. That need to be our process. But a process uh, does seem to be a common trait amongst those that have grown successfully. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so with those in uh, inescapable truths, now let's talk a little bit about the SH720 team's views on growth, what you've taken away. What are some of the key points? So so first of all, why are Navy SEALs having an opinion on this that's relevant to our industry? What's the connection there? And what are some of your key takeaways, Ben? So the the genesis of this is actually pretty interesting because the, the, the folks at SA720, they do a lot of work in our industry, consulting, bringing kind of the Navy SEAL spin, the uh, intelligence community spin to, to financial services problems. If we all agree that the Navy SEALs are one of the the highest functioning teams uh, in the world. What principles can we take from that and apply to our, ourselves? And so uh, when it comes to acquisition, think about what the, the intelligence community has to do as far as identifying and bringing in assets, resources, spies overseas. You can't just put out a you know, a note in the, in the local paper and say, hey, spies needed, you know, please sign up here. There has to be a process to identify these folks and bring them in. That process 
for that group is the acronym SADRAT. They've worked that a little bit to to uh, to make it more friendly to what we do, and the process they use is now called Saber: Spot, Assess, Befriend, Recruit, Engage. But it's a process that advisors can follow that fills that funnel, allows you to track their progress. The best application that, that I've seen is when you have weekly team meetings, you look at this prospect list and you see where in that Saber process different people are. So it kind of moves linearly from left to right, S to an E, um, and you can kind of identify where people are and then discuss next steps on each prospect, which is about the most robust system I've seen anybody in this business use. And whether you use, you know, our process with Saber or one that you built yourself, you know, people think about having a an acquisition pipeline. This process, and the first thought that comes to mind is, well, when the next prospective client comes in and wants to talk to us, we're going to track their progress, and that's great. You should absolutely do that and start day one. But the more actionable utilization today is to take that tool and then look at everyone who you've tried to recruit over the last eighteen months that's been unsuccessful load them in and say, where do we fall short? Because just to say we didn't land that client doesn't do a lot to help the team get better in the future. To say we didn't land that client because they fell short in this step of the process then allows you to work with either that team member or the team as a whole to say, this is how we're going to get better. Walk us through those acronyms again, if you would, and what they're used for. Sure. And so the acronym that the folks at SA720 come up with is, is SABRE, S-A-B-R-E. Uh, S is for spot. So how do you fill the funnel as far as uh, individuals coming in for the acquisition pipeline. That could be referrals, it could be seminars and um, centers of influence, all those things. The A is for assess. How do you determine if the folks that you brought in uh, are going to be good fits? Uh, what are their motivations? What? Why would they be a good fit for your team? B stands for befriend. Make them a social relationship because let's be honest, there are certain individuals that just from a personality perspective, regardless of asset level, you may not want your practice. Uh, the R is for recruit. So that's changing from a friendship into a business relationship, which is where we see a lot of teams struggle with that conversation. How do I go from just getting drinks with someone to actually talking about managing their money? And the last step is engaged. It's implementing the service model that you've promised uh, that you're doing across the business and ensuring that once someone comes into the practice, they stay. Because We've all heard the statistics around how much more cost efficient it is to maintain a current client than it is to go get a new one. So there's one other one around assess that we use or they use mine. Could you spend a minute there? Yes. And so Within assess, we're trying to identify, as I mentioned, motivations, and so the acronym MINE is what's used. Now, on the on the Navy SEAL side, it's MICE, but four key motivations, you know, for individuals. One is money. So, are your are the clients motivated by returns, fees? Hey, my returns are better than the person on the street. My fees are lower. The second, the I is ideology. So, think about things like ESG investing or values based investing, if that's their key motivation. The N is for niche. It's, is the individual motivated by working with others like themselves? I want to work with an advisor who knows the people who work uh, in my industry or in, in my business, uh, whatever that may be. And then the last uh, E is ego. Uh, is it because you're a Barron's Top 100 advisor? Is it because you have a certain name on the wall when they walk in? Uh, is it about you know your credentials? Is that the key motivator for the, for, uh, the, the prospective client? And so uh, mine is that acronym there when we go through the assessment phase. So the, the, the takeaway is if you don't have a prospecting process or a target acquisition process, 
I, I think we've got a really thoughtful way to go about it. So if you don't have a system, reach out to us at The Whole Truth at Touchstone Funds. We'd be happy to help with that. So we're going to transition now to our conversation about client reviews. And right off the bat, I'm going to have a bone to pick. But stick with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, we are going to get into our discussion around client reviews. We do want to add one thing related to segment one. That process around business development, as we mentioned, was developed by the SA 720 folks, John Choate and his team there. Um, and so, yes, we can help you with it. But also, if you want to engage with the team over there itself, we are happy to to facilitate that conversation as well. We want to make sure that those guys get the credit that they deserve for uh, for helping us with, with with this process. So, with that out of the way, uh, what are we going to do here, Ben? You've got facts, myths, and opportunities that we're going to go through here. How do you want to approach this? Yeah, so I I found identifying those three categories is a great way to look at processes that are in place that are being that are not new. So everybody's doing client reviews. This isn't some new concept where we've got to come up with ideas for like what it could be or might be. But when you're observing, you know, 4,000 people doing something, what are the facts? What are the, what are the best teams doing? What can we copy? What are the myths that people think are happening or, or, or doing that they shouldn't be doing? And then where are the opportunities? Where's the green space that nobody's doing this or very few are that we can implement a little more broadly? Good deal. Start with some facts. You want to start there? Happy to. One fact I've come across on the, the annual or even semi-annual review is that it's the most important touch point that we have with our clients each year. And that needs to be reflected in the experience itself. White glove, multiple generations included, even for clients who already love you, that that you don't feel like you need to you know roll out the red carpet again because they're not going anywhere. This engagement is the cornerstone for referrals. It's the cornerstone for deepening the relationship, bringing new assets. It really is the most important touch point. And so treat it as such for every every client you have. Yeah. I, so my fact is this is an exercise in EQ and not IQ. One of the biggest complaints I hear from financial professionals is I, I want to get away from just talking about the returns for the last quarter or the last year. Uh, the problem with that is it's been set up so much that that's what people want to talk about. That's what they expect to go sit down with their FA and, and discuss. But I think the more that we can add behavioral elements, open-ended questions, I, I I might go on a couple of rants about financial planning and how that could be integral to that and flip the script, which leads me to my big bone to pick. And I would like to submit to the court what if we didn't even call these client reviews and we just called them strategy sessions, right? It's, we're going to talk about what has happened, but we're sort of here in this moment in time. And how can we use this moment in time to talk about future opportunity? Like It just seems to me like even the language might need a, a, a twist here because if we don't want to keep looking in the back in, in the rearview mirror, then we should change how we talk about it. We should change how we describe it. What do y'all think about that? I think it's great. I want to comment on what both of you said. What was the point that Ben was making about this being important besides your prep on their account? Like, how do you greet them? What happens when they come to the office? The entire experience around client reviews is 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 critically important. And Kurt's point on like even rebranding it, I think, is a is a beautiful one because just changing the language from like, oh, this is just a review to no, this is a strategy session. That that terminology implies something different. Me as a client, I'm going to come to that meeting 
with a different approach when I hear strategy session. At least I would, and I assume you know others would as well. It's a good point, and I, I look through you know what I receive as far as sample agendas from teams and what they do in these in these sessions. And everything I look at is more important than the actual investment returns. And it's more important yes. to clients. It's more important going forward. You think about, you know, changes in family dynamics, reviewing of the financial plan, the year in review, changes in the practice, new resources bringing on. Um, and then you have investment view and overlook. Everything before that trumps that investment review. And if you look at the studies, it very rarely are clients leaving advisors because of the investment returns themselves. There's something else pushing that. I think about the best way to even start this conversation. So client comes in, there's pleasantries, there's small talk. But one of my favorite questions to ask to get the conversation going would just be, what's on your mind today? Yeah, that came up a few different times. I have some things all over this list on what's a fact versus an opportunity. So we're probably getting into some of my opportunities here. But when I was surveying so many of them, A, reflected precisely what you just said, Kurt, that I want to talk less than the client, the more the client opens up, right? All that stuff. But how they facilitate it, there's a few different ways that they did that. One, someone who used the agenda, which we'll get to agendas because I definitely will get there, but they leave a blank agenda item up front. Like they've got items two, three, four defined, but specifically put a blank agenda item. um, So visually it's right there. Visually it's there. This is you. Other people have defined, you know, very specific open-ended questions. Some people came across broad, like what's on your mind, but some people had very specific open-ended questions that they take people through on different topics. So you want me to get into a couple of my facts? I probably have longer lists. I got like 17 bullets on each. I'm going to try to keep it to like three. Just trampling all over my structure. <laughs> yeah. No. I, okay. So we were supposed to come with one fact. I might have come with three. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> The first thing that, that I think is a fact is, is not only are these important in terms of the relationship, but these are critical in terms of documenting the relationship. Not only should that be a robust conversation, but you should have notes that you take that document the conversation itself, right? So that's your, that can be in your CRM, et cetera. But also that becomes a really good thing to follow up on. Hey, client, we met at this time. Here's what we discussed. You said this. We decided on this. That keeps everyone on the same page. And oh, by the way, everything is documented. And that is really, really important. Any good coaching, consulting interaction, you document, you write down, you talk about what you discussed and there's next steps. Yeah. Use your CRM, use your financial planning software. Even if it's tedious, just do it because in the adverse situation where you get some kind of uh, client complaint, you're going to be really, really glad that you had that in place. One more thing I want to comment on, which, which Kurt, you had mentioned before, what I was, what I was struck by when I was reading feedback from the people that responded is how different the emphasis on investments were. I'd say maybe it's like a third where investments really kind of were the central piece of their client reviews. So let's talk about the markets, right? What's going on in the economy? Let's talk about your portfolio. Let's talk about how it behaved. Let's talk about changes. It's not that that was ignored in other places, but it wasn't always central. So I was just surprised the degree to which there was variability in, in, the, in, in the role of investments in these client reviews. I guess I see that as like, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail kind of approach. You know, if, if you're not doing much planning and all you are is making recommendations for investments, then 
that's your tool bag. That's what you go to. If you're doing other things, uh, there's other levers to pull. There's other ways to demonstrate value. I come from investments background, so that stuff you know speaks to me. But for for most people, not like us, that isn't the primary focus, and it's it, it's also a live by the do- sword, die by the sword thing. I mean, you know, investments coming in and out of favor, and there's going to be times when you're outperforming. And if you are the best advisor in the world, and if you bet you know sixty percent against the benchmark, that's really good. So forty percent of these engagements are going to be talking about negatives. Uh, it reminds me, you know, we we do impact reports and we do team consulting. We always show the movement in assets and movement in revenue. Uh, and we've been doing these for a decade. Well, for the first eight years of that, we looked really smart because assets went up because the markets went up. Uh, but you get into periods of volatility and then you say, well, what value are, are you really adding if the, if the investments are down? And so we brought in things like the, the value of efficiency, um, you know, the, the, the reduction in risk and things associated, the, the amount, the, the value of your practice, given it's more advice-based versus brokerage, to say, yes, your assets might have moved up and down, uh, but here's the value you unlock just by going through this process. I think the same thing applies for a client review. Here's what we did to move you close to your financial plans. Uh, here's what we did to secure your, your future retirement. Here's the resources we added around you know, Medicare, uh, Social Security, whatever it may be. Uh, those things uh, are value-add regardless of an up or down market. And bringing them into this, this conversation is, is only going to be beneficial. We're going to transition to number two, which should be interesting. What are some myths? And uh, Ben, maybe you could kick us off there. Yeah, the myths are always more fun. I mean, the facts, people are doing it right. So let's tell what's going wrong. <laughs> are we about to have a Festivus? <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Let's air those grievances. Uh, my, my key myth here is the view that every client review is unique. And that might sound counterintuitive because we're always taught that you know everybody's needs are different. Uh, every client is unique. It's a, it's a unique person. Um, and the content within the conversations might be unique. But the structure, the agenda, all that should be uniform across every client. And the counterintuitive piece here is that the uniformity doesn't degrade the client experience. It actually enhances it. Right. When you can become an expert at doing one thing really, really well, as opposed to trying to recreate this 300 times over for your household, the client's going to get a better experience out of it. And so the agenda that you put together, make it fluid enough that you can have conversations about different family needs. But family needs is an agenda item. Uh, investment review. You know, somebody might be a 60-40 versus 70-30. You can talk about that. But the fact that the investment review is going to be at this part of the meeting should be consistent across every engagement. What's interesting in, in doing the research for this is when I asked advisors about this, they were split about 50-50 about whether or not it's kind of a snowflake model where everybody's unique and get their own deal or, or, or systematize. When I asked the associates and the CSAs, they said almost universally, it's all snowflakes. Oh, that yeah. Advisors might think it's systematized, but they're the ones putting this stuff together. They're the ones getting these in the books and that everybody has a one-off that's unique to them. I do want to delineate something there because I agree, but um, the the financial professionals, I think, that have the, the service models that tend to get me excited have multiple meeting types. So let's say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, see – client A three times this year. One might be about, you know, a standard client review that you just described, Ben. One might be about a strategy session, good call, Kurt. One might be about like, like planning. Others may be about like tax and beneficiary. So it's taking them through a process throughout the year. Now you can standardize that process, 
But I think there is some benefit to making these meetings a little bit different just for the client. Because if I'm a client and every three months I go in and it's the same thing, I'm like, do we have to do this every three months? Whereas I think if you do a couple of different meeting types over the year, that seems more robust to me. You are absolutely right. And when I talk about systematizing, um, the strategy sessions, as Kurt has so eloquently put it now, say that's once or twice a year that you're, do- you're doing those. I want the the agenda for those strategy sessions consistent across every client. I don't want Correct. strategy sessions every month. Um, but whatever that is that you're doing for your client, make that uniform across across the client experience. And so different types of meetings agreed. Plan those out for the next 12 months. Uh, give your CSA some foresight into when they're scheduling those things. Uh, but when you have a type of meeting that every client is going to receive, make sure there's uniformity so that there's consistency uh, in terms of client experience. Well, let me let me get into my myth because I, yeah. I just realized. Um, I told you guys I didn't have one, but now here we are. No homework, Kurt. Is that is that what we should start calling you? The I've got notes. <laughs> He's holding up the list for our podcast listeners. Go ahead. So the myth would be like you know we talk about supernova and that structure a lot, right? Like four meetings a year, two in person, two you know as kind of a standard starting point for how to stagger these things. I think the myth is clients want to talk to their financial professional that much. And so right-sizing the number of strategy sessions and the type of strategy sessions is, maybe that's the opportunity I'm bleeding over, but the myth is that clients want to hear from you as much as you think they do. 100% agree with what you what you just said. And I've talked to people about it like, okay, I want to touch my A clients, but these A clients you know, don't want to hear from me as much. Well, okay. You can design a process that touches maybe some clients less of the A's than others, so you can delineate between A's. But I, I, I challenge people also to don't just say, okay, well, they don't want to hear from me, so, so we need to do less. That may be less in person. Correct. But you better find ways to touch them in other ways that are, that are useful to them, right? It may not be the in-person sessions. And I'd, I'd suggest it's always better to have them opt out for less than it is to assume they don't want it. Um, and yeah. so, you, you know, put together a service model that that you would put up there to any prospect that you came across and offer that to your A clients. If they self-select and say, I don't need to talk to you that much, that's an easier conversation, I think, from a referral perspective. When they talk to their friends, how often do you hear from my financial advisor? Well, you know, they offer to contact me every month, but for me, it's just twice a year, uh, as opposed to I don't hear from them twice a year. That's right. Uh, I'll throw a myth in here. And again, smaller sample size. So you guys email us, tell me if I'm wrong, but it was not clear to me from the results that I received from the survey on this, that people were spending less time with lower tier clients in these sessions. But it seemed to me that the meetings for the A's looked very similar to the meetings from the D's from a time perspective. That surprised me because to me, I would probably want to spend half a day with my A's if I could, if they wanted to, right? And, you know, a a pretty streamlined for D's. I didn't see that in the results. Did you guys get any kind of sense of that? No, I I didn't hear a discrepancy about that. And we've got data upon data around the inefficiency of bottom ends of practices. But the universal truth is you can't afford to spend enough time with the top end. And there isn't a small enough amount of time you can afford to spend at the bottom end, just given you know what they're paying you for an hour of your time. This is a great segue to an- another mini rant I wanted to go on. And both of these are teased from this a podcast I listened to called The Perfect RIA. It's two financial professionals talking about their business. And they seem dogmatic about 
efficiency and systems and all this stuff. So that's probably why I relate to it. One guy wrote a book called like, this is no, no sponsor, but like uh, it's called delivering massive value. So his point is if you're delivering value in these interactions, whatever system you pick is going to be a good one, right? Like whether that's four, six, four, two, whatever the number of touches is, however frequently opt in, opt out. If you're delivering value, people are going to want to spend time with you. So that's point number one. And and I guess how you demonstrate it, because I've also heard examples and of people like physically like building a calculator or putting in Excel, we just saved you this much in taxes or from this retirement strategy and optimizing for different retirement accounts, we optimize this much and physically demonstrating the value that they're adding. The second part is this idea of surge strategy sessions where you cluster them up and, and that's your only focus for several periods of time throughout the year. Call it like a spring and a fall. So you kind of get through tax season, you surge, then surge in the fall before RMD and other other conversations you're having towards the end of the year. Oh, totally. I've heard that for sure. You can manage your year however you want. And if you want to spend the first quarter you know, getting through the majority of your your annual reviews, that seems rational to me. I don't see any issue with that at all. And I think a lot of that's done by just force of habit or necessity where people want to hear about, you know, their returns at quarter end or whatever it may be. Um, we advocate planning out 12 months in advance for, for all contacts. And what that allows you to do is, you know, your, your A clients, you're, you're going to want to talk to those high surge periods. Uh, but your B's and C's, those are ones to to adjust. And we talk about revenue per market hour and how much your time is worth, but all hours aren't created equally either. Like your hour of work during tax season is a lot more valuable to you than it is in the middle of July. Uh, and so shuffle some of those B and C clients into uh, less busy times of your year. And it doesn't have to be quite as surgy as, as it may be today. Surgy. Yeah, for surgy. I like surgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good word. The key with these service models, in my mind, is just, is is that you actually stick to them because the moment that you start, you know, uh, oh, I didn't get it done, I didn't, you know, finish what I was intended to do for this particular month. I mean, then it starts to break, and you're at square one. So design it in a way where you could execute it most effectively, and then have a backup plan as well. Well, so we've covered facts, we've covered some myths. Let's move over to opportunities, which is sort of its own Costanza. Let's let's end with like the good stuff. Where where should people be thinking about this and spending time and effort in refining the process? Yeah, and so this will come as no surprise to those of you that have either know me or have listened to the previous podcast I've been on. Uh, it's the appeal to the behavioral side. I thought I was going to be a behavioral economist back in the day until I realized that there's about seven of those jobs out there and I need to actually make some money. Uh, <laughs> but depending on what study you read, the behavioral element that financial advisors bring to their clients adds anywhere from 1% to 4% to returns every year. So basically, by protecting clients from themselves, you're generating 1% to 4%, which covers the cost of basically any advisory fee you're charging. And this is just left by the wayside. And it goes back to, Steve, a point you made back in the facts section about documentation. When that client comes in and asks you about those meme stocks and why you're not invested in them, talk them off the cliff document, and 12 months later, go back and point to why you didn't do that. What happened in the interim? And so be able to provide perspective, keep them from hurting themselves in terms of buying high and selling low as we are naturally inclined to do. Yeah. And and you said something really important there, which is to revisit that because I'll hear financial professionals say, 
Well, I can't keep telling my clients about just the long term as a reason they're underperforming. If you don't revisit that, then that just becomes an excuse too. So you should say like, hey, remember, we decided not to sell here. Here's why we didn't. And then look at what has happened since then. This is why we do what we do. So I think the revisiting part that you just mentioned to me is the key element of it. And if if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, we talked through behavioral side. I, I encourage you to go back. There are little elements that are universal to all of us. And it's, it's by our very nature, we want to behave in certain ways. And it goes back to just evolution that time and time again are going to come up when things like, you know, the bank collapses. There's fear involved in that. But this isn't the first time a bank has collapsed. And so what can we see historically that's going to calm people's nerves? It, it's human nature when panic arises to want to, you know, sell and move to cash. And typically it's the worst time to be doing it. And so revisiting those elements and protecting clients from themselves and then reminding them of what you did. Uh, is a real opportunity that I rarely see on an agenda, you know, behavioral finance uh, in one of these strategy sessions. Episode 21, if you're interested. Thank you, Kurt. I think that's right. Uh, And I'll just make one comment. You know, a lot of clients and most advisors would say, okay, with the long term, you don't want to make short term irrational decisions. But man, as we sit here um, in March of 2023, and we're still in the mix of a volatile market, it, it surprises me how people like are in these periods become so negative, so bearish, so – I mean I don't know if you guys see that when you're out there, but I'm telling you, I see it so much. And this is the same people that would say, well, when the market went down, what do you do? So it's just amazing how emotion just takes over completely, even if you're educated. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. I've got a top five list. I, I got five bullets. <laughs> Sorry about that in advance. The first was agendas. Did you guys get any feedback on agendas? Were people using them consistently? Did they comment on that at all? Or Yeah, I had a couple of people send me their agenda and, and their flow because and there's something I still want to cover with that too. Yeah. So was it like, did you get a sense that it was 50% minority, majority? Where did you, did you get a sense of that? Yeah, of agenda in general. Uh, no, it's highly agended, highly I feel like there's some going to be some sample bias in here because the people that listen to the podcast and then respond are, are going to yeah. – they want to know what other people are doing, but they already probably have a pretty good system. Ben, did you get a sense of that? Yeah. Uh, sample bias. Talking to bigger, more complex teams, most of those had agendas. Yeah. So I'd say more, more, more than not. So for me, it was about half, and which surprised me. Now, some people are saying, well, I have an informal agenda. I guess what I would say is in the opportunity is if you're not using an agenda, I think you should – and it's time management, but I also think it makes your process look better, come across better. And there was this also this, this great quote that I got from um, one of our good friends and listeners, Kat. Once I implemented agendas, I was able to make it more complex in less time. In other words, I got through more things, but I also saved myself time doing it. And I think that's that's what agendas do. And just to piggyback on that, Steve, not only do I see teams use agendas, but some of the best, they send out the agenda before the meeting. That's good uh, too. So get it out to a client a week before and say, is there anything on here that I'm missing? Yeah. Very few will come back and add anything, but it'll feel customized because they've had some time to see it. Love that idea. Love that. Yeah. What am I? What, what should we add to the agenda? That's great. Opportunity number two. You know, this is I heard yesterday, and I don't even know if it has to do with client reviews, but it came up, and I'm just going to plug Strategy it in Strategy sessions. Strategy sessions. Very good, Kurt. Thank you. Um, I will get that next time, I promise. Clients that actually left you. This lady I was listening to, she's, you know, Barron's top 100 type person, and so she was there to talk about things that she does. 
And she will still, in her service model, if she's doing birthday cards, for example, continue to send birthday cards to clients that actually left her or that she didn't get. So prospects that didn't come in the pipeline, that didn't convert, and then clients that have left for, for one reason or another. They may have, hey, I think this is the right direction to go, but then they have some kind of experience that that doesn't live up to it. And, oh, this this person's still in front of me, still doing the oh, thing. Oh, wow. That's so this good. isn't a client review. I kind of shoved this in this episode, but I just that was an idea that I thought was worth passing along. That's beautiful. Remember when we had that conversation um, about the perspective of, of abundance or like uh, coming from a place of abundance versus scarcity? Yeah. And that's how I kind of approach wholesaling is I'm not super pushy because I just – you're going to be a client at some point. It just may not be today. And yeah. that, but that is very much in that same vein. That's, I've never heard that. That's good. See, I blow your mind every once in a while, Kurt, but you, you know, I stole it. So it's not like I'm blowing your mind. You know, that's all I do is steal the ideas. That's all know? good ideas are stolen. I'm not sure I have ever had an original idea. I'm going to be honest with you, but anyway, <laughs> they've, all, they've all been done. Opportunity number three that I had was, um, I think we touched on this a little bit, but to, to spend some time going through the things that were actually accomplished or the things that you actually did on behalf of a client. Because we assume That's that the one. client knows everything that we've done with them, but they don't. Let's just refresh the things that we did this year. So we did A, B, C, D. Here's what we want to go next. And it's kind of hard to, to, to be one of these people that wonder about the value after you see those, those robust lists. It's amazing how many teams we talk to that are uncomfortable with the fee they charge and you know worrying they charge too much. When you list out all the things a financial advisor does today and compare it to 30 years ago, you know, buy and sell stocks to what it is today. You try to put a dollar amount by each one of those. You did those separately. Uh, it'll make you feel a lot better about what you're charging your clients. hundred percent. And there's some things that you actually have to share and, and discuss with specifically discuss with the client. Dax, who's been on our show from the network, he's been on a couple of different times. They have an annual policy meeting thing that they actually have to discuss with their client. Because if you are a fiduciary, it requires things that you have to review. But this is something that I think everyone should be doing. I said it was top five, it's top four. I'm going to leave it there because the last one we kind of covered just about having you know a repeatable process and a template. Like So for example, one of our listeners, Kevin, um, creates a really thought out template that that he reviews with his team prior and then uses that same template in the particular meeting. So that just kind of gets back to process. You know, Steve, I'll, I'll add a fifth for you because one came to mind and just mentioning fees. Uh, one of the teams I worked with uh, as a part of the, the strategy session that they do, and they make a point to say, please keep in mind as part of the fee that we charge, we include a similar session to this for any friends or family that are interested in going through it. And so they make that Good seem call. as though it's part of the fee that you're you're paying for this. So you should have, if you've got friends or family, don't advise or have questions, bring them in. We'll do a full review for them. Now, tangentially, the benefit there is what a great resource. But then it becomes an additional benefit that you're providing in these sessions and not necessarily asking them for referrals. That's a great way to I like think that. about it. It's not free. It's included. It's, that's right. Yeah. Included in your fee. I like that a lot. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion on facts, myths, and opportunities. If we mess something up, if you disagree, if you'd like to add, shoot us a note, the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com, or you have, you know, Kurt or I's email address or Ben, shoot us a note and tell us what we missed and what you would add. I'd love to continue this discussion. And with that, um, we are going to transition to our Costanza Corner. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And 
And welcome back to the Costanza Corner, where we like to end the show on a high note. Steve was just seen rubbing his hands together with enthusiasm, so I think we're in for a treat. It should be noted for the record that we asked Ben if there was anything positive in his life that he wanted to use in this positive segment. Throw it, throw it out there. And he couldn't come up with one positive thing. That's I don't know what to say. About when that. But everything anyway. in your life is going well, it's hard to pick out just one it's area of positivity. So let's just shine light on things. That's right. Can't pick winners and losers. Couldn't couldn't be a luckier guy. Great job, great family. Couldn't. What more could you ask for? That's exactly right. And to be fair, this has nothing to do with me, my Costanza Corner, and kind of sounds like a lot of the Costanza Corners that we do, which is usually something around, you know, animals or animals or size. This is not an animal one. So if you guys heard about, we'll start from the negative part, because usually the positive is solving it. You guys hear about these forever chemicals that are created. So things that are created in industrial processes are just things that we do that just don't go away and end up in like water streams and stuff like that. You familiar with those? Life of a billion years. Yeah, like they just don't go away and then they measure the water and it's like, oh my God, we're drinking this stuff. I, I think um, a few of the floating down the Ohio River now next to my house after that, uh, is that, that train crash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ugh. That clean looking river is even more dirty. Is that what you're going to say to me right <laughs> now? The mighty um, Ohio. I kid. I had my wedding on that river. I love that river. Okay. All right. There's been a lot of talk recently about so-called forever chemicals and how society can use new technologies to remove these old toxins from the water and soils of the of, of the world. And so the positive note is we've got this um, a solution from the University of British Columbia can both filter out and destroy these forever chemicals, purifying water resources cheaply and effectively. So I won't go into the details, but the way they describe this is they've essentially created a, a Brita that's like a thousand times better than a Brita that they can put in streams and, and that can filter this stuff out. Algae, I'm getting you one of those for your house. So you Please. Go <laughs> river water. My, yeah, my now that I realize that Ben's downstream, we he needs one of those. from, what was it, East Palestine? We are downstream yeah. for sure. Wow. Wait, can, so I, can we talk about this? You had your wedding on the Ohio River? I did too. I did, yeah. I had a small, small wedding. I had just, you know, a boat. Ben was there. Ben was at that wedding. I was there. And yeah, we just got kind of a boat on the Ohio River. And I think it was small. It was like 50, 60 people and uh, sailed around for a little bit and drank way too much and had my... I uh, had a great day with my my bride, who may or may not have gotten frustrated with me towards the end of it for for you know spending too much time at bar with friends. But it was a great time. I thought. What did you think and of that? Did you have fun at that is, wedding, Ben? I think you did. I had an awesome time. <laughs> <laughs> and is this your this is your ten or last year was your ten? This is ten. Thank you for for uh, for yeah. Uh, remembering. Yeah, in June this will be ten years with Becky. So she's she's tolerated me for that long, and we are doing a, a big trip that I am. Pretty darn excited about which we are headed to uh, to Tahiti to the South Pacific, a few of those islands, and we're gonna we're gonna play around. But most importantly, this is gonna be the first time we're dropping MJ off at, at the in laws. She's never been away from us, so oh, you know a lot a of folks deal. that live around yeah that live around parents. We just we don't have it. My folks are three and a half hours away. Becky's are in Ohio. Like we we don't have that. So she's really never been away from us. And now we're, we're getting her out to Ohio and she's going to be with grandma and grandpa for 10 days. That's, you know, that's interesting. Gonna be interesting. It takes about a day or two to like 
disconnect from it and then it gets real easy to be away it's, it's <laughs> really, that's my two favorite yeah. things in the world are being with my kids and not being with my kids yeah. and that was is that right yeah that's right how did your kids i can ask you guys this so when your kids were were away from you guys for longer periods for the first time like did, did any of them handle it poorly or or did loved they it. end up being they loved it it was Mine an exciting adventure yeah, really they're always with grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa don't say no so okay, what about you, Kurt? Same experience? Uh yeah. I think um, my wife and and I were both affected way more than the kids, because uh, there's there's you know there, there's this there's this flow where you enjoy the freedom and then you're like oh dang I actually missed missed the little bugger now. But what, yeah. I want to get back to this real quick. I want to share in in your positive ending here. Yeah. I also I got married in Pittsburgh on the Monongahela technically so which right when the three rivers come together in Pittsburgh which start the Ohio so technically got married wow. on the I definitely proposed on the Ohio River but up in Pittsburgh uh and we're also 10 years this year in September so, look at that there's there's magic in that river it's not just <laughs> it's not just all these chemicals <laughs> yeah no no yeah, it's not <laughs> chemicals and bodies there's actual magic there's there. magic that's that's yeah. a good place as any to stop there is magic in the ohio river thanks everyone for listening we'll see you next time see y'all you can find the whole truth and subscribe for free on apple Podcasts, spotify or your favorite podcast app We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. John Choate serves as an independent presenter for Touchstone. RMD is an acronym for Required Minimum Distribution. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC. This commentary is for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The prospectus and the summary prospectus contain this and other information about the fund. To obtain a prospectus or a summary prospectus, contact your financial professional or download and or request one at touchstoneinvestments.com resources or call Touchstone at 800-638-8194. Please read the prospectus and or summary prospectus carefully before investing.